Welcome to Risk Roundup. The digital global age has brought an explosion in digital commerce. With the increase in digital commerce, digital payments and digital currencies are expected to grow in parallel as well. So the question is whether individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, are prepared for the likely rise of digital currency. Across nations, there are many different digital currencies. But despite many different digital currencies, consumers, users, and citizens still believe that credit and debit card are the most secure form of payments. Why is that so? Is that because digital currencies are still evolving, or is it because they are most difficult to secure? Now, when currencies are not backed by any central bank or government authority, and when they exist purely in digital form, they can be lost through hacking or even by just losing the simple password. This is a cause of great concern as compromised digital currency accounts have little hope for any recovery. In short, it is we, the users, consumers, and citizens that are pretty much responsible for making sure nothing happens to our digital money. It is said that digital currencies were developed because of trust issues with the current financial institutions and system. As Bitcoin and other digital currencies rapidly emerges as potential disruptors to the current financial system, there are complex challenges facing not only its acceptance, but security as well as the very foundation of the integrity of any currency. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Joshua Skigala. Joshua is the CEO of Voltoro and is based in Berlin. Welcome, Joshua. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful, Joshua. So there is a growing concern that if Bitcoin or any other digital currency is stolen, there is no way to recoup losses. Is that accurate? Yeah. The thing is that you've got to look at digital currencies the same as what email or the internet in general was like in 1995 or 1994 in the early 90s. Uh, it was very, very hard to use. You had to use a command line to write an email. It was very technical and complex. And everyone you talked to said, well, why do I need email? None of my friends have got email. Nowadays, our grandparents are sitting there swiping away on their smartphones and on their, on their tablets uh, all day long and you think wow how has everything's moved on so quickly and we are really at the forefront of of the world of digital currencies we're right at the start and just like um, Tesla's cars crash in auto drive just like uh, rockets have exploded on the way to the moon uh, anything that's pioneering is going to have challenges at the start as we're figuring out these technologies and so uh, you know, usually it is techno um, uh, files, people that are, are very comfortable with technology at the start who build this stuff. But at the end of the day, we have to make tech this technology, these cryptocurrencies, grammar-friendly. And that's something that will happen over time. But right now, there is still a fair bit of risk if you don't know what you're doing. If you know what you're doing, it is f very, very, very safe because you cannot... Uh, you, you can't change two plus two to equal five. It's four. Um, yet, you know, I, I know that's a bit strange, but uh, there's, uh, there's hardware wallets. There's, it's pure mathematics. So you can secure it if you know what you're doing. And as we move forward, we move away from mathematics more into GUIs, meaning uh, uh, user interfaces that you can just swipe and click and, and everything is, is done for you. Yes, that is true. But at the same time, I mean, how many people know what they are doing? There are very few of them who know what they are doing, especially in the digital world, in the cyberspace. And the problem is bitcoins or any digital currency, it can be stolen in very large amounts, huge quantities, just like money and with no centralized bank backing and no insurance or no federal guarantees. There is no way to recoup the losses. And that is a cause of great concern. And so that it's not just the bitcoin, but overall, all the digital currencies that we see, I mean, that is a big concern at this point that are digital currencies secure? Because, you know, we don't have cybersecurity is the main concern with all these digital currencies. What are your thoughts about cybersecurity? Yes, yeah, so 
There are there are issues that are uh, there are things that people are doing, especially with Bitcoin. For instance, there's paper wallets, so you can actually print out a paper wallet, and uh, whenever you need to spend any money, you grab your cell phone and you scan the paper wallet QR code. You scan the QR code and uh, and send money from that. And so this paper wallet is offline. There's no cybersecurity needed. There's good old fashioned physical security and we've had as humans 3000 plus years of understanding physical security vaults and safes and and maybe have splitting it in two and putting it in two split places and needing to combine the two before you can scan it or something like that so uh, where, where there are a lot of uh, hardware and and paper uh, solutions coming out so someone else called trezor and and there's a couple of other companies making hardware wallets that are really easy to use. And so as we move forward, we're stepping away from needing to trust cybersecurity because we're having base offline cold, what's called cold storage, meaning it's not connected to the internet. No hacker can hack into a piece of paper. That is seems very interesting. So how does that work? This paper wallet that you're talking about, how does it work? What is the process? So the process is basically you print out a, uh, a piece of paper with a, a public key and a private key. And in Bitcoin, a public key is like a letterbox. It's a letterbox that you can give the address to anybody in the world. And all anybody can do is put money in. And the private key is the key at the back of the letterbox that you open up and allows you to send money. So by having that printed on a piece of paper, it's not available online. It's not an account that's online. It's, it's it, all money that goes in goes onto this address that's on this piece of paper. Um, it, it's kind of wacky because there's a whole paradigm shift in thinking. And this is why the uptake of Bitcoin has taken eight years so far because it's such a paradigm shift in thinking of money um, that we, we're, we're at a point now where people need to relearn what some of these technologies are. But but it's it's quite it's quite an amazing um, concept where you can print out a piece of paper as a wallet and and spend from that piece of paper. You can go to I think it's uh, Bitcoin Paper Wallet or just type Bitcoin Paper Wallet into into Google. That, that definitely seems very interesting. So I'll have to evaluate that further. But uh, I mean, you know that there are so many different kinds of digital currencies. There is a uh, the digital yeah, currencies overall money. cryptocurrency mobile payments near field communications so how many different forms of digital currencies are available at this point you are talking about bitco uh, bitcoin or that paper wallet that you're talking about or that works with pretty much any digital currency that we are talking about well this one particularly works with bitcoin um, alone because uh, I, what what Bitcoin is, it's, it's a step away from debt-based money and credit cards. So credit cards are debt-based. They're, they're also a pool technology. And why that's dangerous and r very risky is because I need to give you, let's say just a, a third, let's say you, for instance, I need to give you everything you need to do to, to, to pull money off. So I need to give you all the information on the credit card to pull. And I have to trust that you're going to pull the right amount that you're not going to keep a copy of that and sell it and, and everything else that comes along with that. Bitcoin is, is very opposite. I give you the letterbox number, like I was saying before, and all you can do is push my, uh, all I can do, sorry, you give your letterbox and all I can do is push money into it and um, through Bitcoins. I can just push Bitcoins into it. I, I can't, you can't pull any Bitcoins from me. So that means I'm not open to theft or anything else. I, all I can do is send you some and there's no fraud able to happen. So it's, it's very, very risk-free in that sense compared to credit cards. So it's a lot safer for internet because you've got to imagine that credit cards, they're invented in the 1950s before even the internet was even a, a sparkle in somebody's eye. It was, it was not even invented. And, and then we've taken this credit card technology and patched it and, and twisted it and crunched it to make it fit into this thing called the internet. Bitcoin is thought is, has been created by the internet for the internet age. It's been created by a whole bunch of open source community to make it work for the internet. So it's actually inherently a lot less risky than credit cards are. 
the only thing that makes credit cards not risky is the insurance behind it. But that's yeah. still a nightmare if anyone. That's, that, that's the whole thing. That, that there is the trust that you know if something goes wrong that there is someone who is backing it, and you know the consumers will be protected. And the point, the Bitcoin, as we have been. Uh, watching over the years that it, this currency is decentralized as you've been talking and uh, but there are different legalities in each country so is there anyone overseeing bitcoin or it is just uh, it's uh, going on you know without any uh, oversight no bitcoin is is like the internet it's 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 ruled uh, in an uh, in an anarchy it, there's no there's no central authority so um, sure there's local um, regulations usually on the the ons and on ramp on and off ramps. So from from euros or rubies or anything else, it, it, there's there's usually the exchanges are regulated. Um, but what we're starting to see is that once people are in the economy, they start to just buy and sell in Bitcoin. They start to use other facilities that take Bitcoin, and slowly this bubble grows where you don't need these on and on off ramps anymore. And the reason why it is unregulated is because it's impossible to regulate. Uh, you don't have central points of control that you can, you can regulate. Um, now, what we're doing at Voltoro is we allow people to trade in and out of gold because gold has 3,000 years of, of value. It's, it's gone through every single war. It's globally recognized. It's, it's, um, it's really stood the test of time. And Bitcoin... Cryptocurrencies are very, very young. And like you said, they could be hacked and taken if people don't know what they're doing. So we uh, really enable people to use Bitcoin for sending value around, but use gold to store value. Yes, yes. Uh, based on your experience, you have been actively involved with Bitcoin. What are the risks and challenges you see currently that Bitcoin, overall the Bitcoin currency is facing across nations? Well, a, a, large, um, a large problem is scaling. So it, it, it's, you know, when, when the internet was first invented, TCP IP, the protocol that runs uh, basically the internet, um, it was, was very slow. It, if you try to download a JPEG, it would take a minute just to download one JPEG. And now, uh, you know, 20 years later, we're watching 4K streaming video on Netflix in a lot of countries. So, so it, it, it's moved, it's scaled really fast. And now Bitcoin is a money protocol. So it's like email or TCPIP, these protocol, these base level internet protocols, they need time to scale. They need to be figured out. The math needs to figure out how to scale. So that's one problem that we see with Bitcoin. The other problem that I see is what's called fungibility. And what that means is that one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin. It, it's the same value. It doesn't matter what's happened to that Bitcoin in the past. If it was in a crime or something happened and then you get it because you bought some ice cream and, and the change you got was this, you don't want to care if, where that came from. You don't want to have to look and, and, and make sure and then give it back because it was in a theft three transactions ago or something. And, and this, this concept of fungibility has, has uh, a lot of precedent in, in traditional cash law. Um, so the problem with the Bitcoin network I see currently is that it's very, very traceable. You can trace every transaction by everybody. And, and that's good for law enforcement in certain ways, but it's also not good as money because you can... You know, if you get changed, then, oh, no, I got paid, but half of that or one section of that used to be in a transaction that's blacklisted or it starts getting very complex, not very fluid. Um, so I do see that as an interesting challenge for cryptocurrencies in general. Yes, that that you that is a very interesting point you made, and you are right. That is a cause of concern because that would uh, the consumers, users who are using it, they would be concerned that you know this Bitcoin is coming from some uh, illegal activity, and that would not make them comfortable. So yes, you are right. That is a cause of concern. So at this point, how are consumers or users getting Bitcoins? Is it still the same way of you know mining or is there any other way they can purchase Bitcoins too? Well, 
you know, I, I get paid in Bitcoin. So a lot of people, a lot of freelancers, especially um, people that are perpetual travelers, there's a lot of programmers that get paid in Bitcoin. A lot of travelers get paid in Bitcoin because it's a global currency. So uh, you don't, and, uh, you know, there's really interesting ways of storing Bitcoin. You can, you can have a brain wallet, for instance. <laughs> you can have a string of 12 words and you can respawn your wallet in whatever country you are in. So you, there's, there's really interesting uh, ways of using Bitcoin. So uh, there's, there's earning Bitcoin. There's also buying them uh, or converting them, just like you would with any international currency you convert uh, at the time of using. Or um, there is um, uh, when you um, uh, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of it, working for it or, or, or buying it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> thought, now you... This, hang on, is there a third... <laughs> you talked about that paper wallet, right? About for the Bitcoin yes. to protect. But there are also many different kind of digital Bitcoin wallets available that people use like for des their desktop wallets or mobile wallets or web wallets. There are so many different options available. So what is the trend going? Which one is the most widely used and which one is the most secured for the you know, protection of the consumers? Well, just like anything in life, there's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, for instance, um, a, a kid, you might give your kids a digital wallet to, to pay them for their pocket money. Now, they might, they all might want a wallet, you might want a wallet for them, which is multi-signature. So for them to spend any of their pocket money, they also need your signature. So they can, they can sign it by putting in their password, and then you get a little notification on your main wallet saying oh they want to buy a comic book um okay then i'll sign off on that and and, it, and it's then it sends the bitcoin so that's one use now then you might have um point of sale terminal wallets that uh, allow a merchant um on the side of a street to to have a point of sale system um you might have you know there's there, there's multiple different types of use cases for what you want a wallet for and so it depends what you want and um, I mean, one of the best uh, wallets that I like to use is Copay. Copay is by a company called BitPay, and they do a multi-signature wallet, like I was saying. Um, but there's also Bread Wallet, which I really enjoy. Uh, these are all open source as well, which is really important. So I would say, instead of thinking, what's the best? I would say, what do I need from a digital wallet? And then I would ask the question like, is it open source? Because open source, when you're dealing with Bitcoin wallets, is really important because it means that other parties that can program, that know how to program, will be looking through this code and flagging it as, as dodgy uh, or, or a little bit sketchy if it is. And if it's not, they'll, they'll give them a big thumbs up and a good star rating. So uh, yeah, open source is very important. Good, good, good. Glad to know that. Now, one of the most common criticism of Bitcoin is that it is not backed by anything or not that it is intrinsically valuable. So uh, how does the industry respond to this criticism that uh, it is not backed by anything and uh, there is the, no intrinsic value in that? Well, that's actually a fallacy. So for Bitcoin to work, it takes millions and millions of dollars and energy uh, of people mining. So there's a lot of people paying electricity to burn electricity, make, you know, burn coal and make electricity, putting that into computers, running machines to mine it. So Bitcoin, I know it's a bit esoteric and strange to say, but Bitcoin is actually the first digital organism that is self-perpetuating and it's paying humans to secure it. And for doing that, it's randomly paying these humans with new minted Bitcoins. And so the power put in to secure that, that is actually what's backing the network. So miners have to get these new Bitcoins that they're paid by this, this mathematical organism and, and pay then the electric provider. So you could say that, that just like gold is backed by all the machinery that it takes to dig it out of the soil, um, Bitcoin is backed by the machinery that calculates these rare numbers. That is very interesting. It is backed by the machinery. Now, I mean, the argument goes that the dollars are backed by the U.S. government. 
and they have the largest force of military might on the planet and your nation your country is government is backing your currency so there are every nation's currency is backed by their government and uh, whatever their strengths and resources are but that bitcoin is not backed by anything but you made an interesting point that it is backed by the machinery there are also some people they say that bitcoin is backed by uh, the time that it takes into mining all this and uh, that is also interesting concept now there are reports that bitcoin is beginning to be backed by gold and uh, i believe your organization is also working in that direction can you share the need for cryptocurrency to be backed by gold well it, it's not that it's backed by gold it's it's that it allows people to instantly buy gold and instantly spend that gold down to the cent so if you receive bitcoin bitcoin is very volatile because it's a very still a very small market uh, it's growing and growing and as it gets bigger it'll become a little bit more stable but right now it's still very volatile meaning the markets could all of a sudden some guy with or girl with a, a 2 million dollars could buy a bitcoin and it'll rise in price on the global markets and then someone dumps 15 million dollars and it goes back down so so what people can do now is, is through Voltoria, our website is that they can buy, uh, have Bitcoin sent to them and instantly convert that to solid bullion that's in their name as their property yeah. uh, because it's allocated gold. So um, one thing that's good about that is that it doesn't matter what happens to Voltoro or to the banking structure or to the euro or to the everything because it doesn't matter. If, if we disappear or if the euro disappears, their gold is in the vault as their property. And that's a really, really important distinction where compared to the euro that's backed by, let's say, governments, is that A, it's very, it's very opaque. There's no transparency. We don't know how much they're printing. We don't know how much they're speculating with it, where the debts are. It's all just too complex. Yeah. Uh, and gold, everyone knows, well, gold is gold. It's this, there's this much, and it's, it's very hard to mine more out of it. It's not like paper that you can just keep printing. So, um, so, and then they can spend that gold as Bitcoin down to the cent. And, and that's very, very fast. So there's no real need to back it. Like you used to have to back paper with gold, but now with Bitcoin, you can jump in and out of it so fast that uh, you don't need to back it. And this is a really big step to allowing global trade so for instance someone might not trust the us to, if, if uh, someone in india might be doing business with an american uh, they might not trust the us dollar or they might or the american might trust might trust uh, the, the indian currencies they're, they're, there's that so but gold is very globally understood so they can both go okay we, we, we understand gold we'll hold it in gold We'll do the trade and then we'll release those funds. So there's there's a lot of steps in where the old way of the old the oldest money in the world, gold, is now being combined with the newest money in the world, these cryptocurrencies, to create a very very almost perfect monetary system because it's not controlled by anybody. It's not corruptible. And yes. this is the thing with, with nation states. You say that you know that the U.S. government backs the U.S. dollar, but Who's to say they are printing way too much of it? Uh, when, when, a, when parties, when, when governments are in control of a currency, it's very easily corruptible. It uh, doesn't matter how many guns you point at two plus two, it's always going to equal four because the mathematical pro protocol is there for everybody to read and it cannot be changed because of how the, the network works. Yes. Very, very certain. Yes, you are absolutely right. That is a cause of concern. Do you think this gold-backed digital currency could bring stability to the industry and allow new types of derivatives to be designed and traded? Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, you know, we're, we're really seeing the, you know, Bitcoin for me is, is, is just a meme. It's a meme that means everything. You know, a lot of people call it blockchain assets. Um, we, we now have, you know, if you look in some of the stranger parts of the web, there's 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 kids like gamers trading virtual skins for you know for their for their avatars like let's say some some outfit or a skin for their gun or some you know graphics and to, and there's billion dollar industries of people trading these assets. Now, now that we have the blockchain and Bitcoin, 
because let me just step one step back. Why Bitcoin was so important was because it was solving a major problem in computer science. It was solving the problem of double spend. When I have an MP3 and I give it to you, I can keep a copy. So Bitcoin was the first digital thing that I can send and you can be guaranteed that I don't have it anymore. Once I send it, it's gone. It's, it's over to you. And so now that we can have these digital assets that can be moved, we can have value added to those assets. MP3s have no value actually, apart from the law saying it's illegal. Uh, you're not allowed to copy them. Um, actually, if you, if you just left it to the truly free market, they have no value because I can just, you know, send them and multiply, copy them like crazy. So money needs to be, as a core fundamental value, needs to be transferable and guaranteed that I don't have a copy of that. And so, yeah, that, that, that's a big, a yes. big thing. And so we're yeah. seeing this freight train of, of, of digital assets moving through the entire economy that bankers don't even really grasp, and neither do governments. They don't grasp what is about to happen yes. um, to their entire industry. Yes, so it seems that how many cryptocurrencies backed gold projects are under development across nations at this point and which ones are being unveiled right now? So, um, so there's us, we're, we're global. Um, there's also uh, another company called Digex, um, but they aren't uh, doing a full allocated gold and there's not many people doing fully allocated gold. And, and why this is important is because you want, when you hold gold, you want it to be your property. You don't want to be a pool of gold that you have a stake of some part of it and, and, it's, and you don't know who owns what or, or, or whatever. You really want to have a legal right to it. And this is a, more of a legal framework, but it's a very, very important distinction between pooled. So ETFs, for, for instance, ETFs are a pool of gold and that then gets put up as a stock uh, that people can invest in. Now, that's great, but uh, recently someone held a large holding by the Deutsche Bank of their gold ETF and they asked for physical delivery and the Deutsche Bank went, no. Why could they say no? Because it's not the client's property. It's actually Deutsche Bank's property and they are, you know, it's their stuff. So it's really important that you have legal right to your property and that's what allocated gold is. And, and there's a, there, we're, we're actually, uh, there's, we're actually the only ones we know of currently doing full allocated gold trading uh, on, on an order book exchange. So we don't give the price. You set your price and the market decides, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy or sell that because there's thousands of people buying and selling between each other. Right. right. No, I, I heard that there's a metal and technology company called Anthem Vault, I think. They launched a coin that was valued at one gram of gold at the day's market price and it would serve as a more secure store of value than Bitcoin. So do you think this is designed to be an alternative payment system for uh, users, consumers in developing countries that uh, see a lot of volatile currencies or do you think it is designed to be a tool that would prevent a massive distributed denial of service attack on the modern financial system? What, what are your thoughts on this uh, Anthem Vault uh, uh, coin that is uh, valued at one gram of gold. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know Anthem. He's a really good good guy, a great company as well. Uh, but I have a problem with uh, with these pooled accounts, with these uh, with these digitized tokenizations of gold. It's something we we looked at doing, um, but there is a problem. So for one one problem is that it's illegal to mint your own currency in most countries. In most Developed countries, if you mint your own currency, you'll basically be shut down. This is the reason why Satoshi Nakamoto came up with Bitcoin in the first place, was to say, hey, we can now mint a private currency that can compete with government currencies and you can't shut it down. So I would be very careful with companies that are minting their own token and backing it with gold because legally it's a very gray area. The second problem is the allocated gold versus pooled gold because when I have a token I, and I send it, that, 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 the next person doesn't really have full ownership because the, the, the gold vaulting facility doesn't know who that person is or what that person is. The third problem is that if, if a crime happens and the, 
the criminals are paid with this gold token, let's say they trade some drugs or trade something illegal, weapons or whatever, then the, the vault operators holding the value for that trade can be held liable for that, for that even though they didn't even know it happened. Why? Because they're, ho- they're sort of a part of the transaction because they're holding the value for something illegal. So that's why what we're doing is, is we outsource the whole money side of it to Bitcoin and people just jump in, buy gold, and when they're holding it, they're holding gold, and when they're spending it, they're spending Bitcoin. It's got nothing to do with centralized authority of the token. Right, right, You don't need to trust that token. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's a a good point. Now, gold prices haven't exactly been stable, at least in dollar terms. That's what, you know, uh, uh, a lot of reports say that. Now, if an attacker would create a massive DDoS attack, it would make the financial system inoperable. How would we rely on uh, the payments then? Are you talking a denial of service on Bitcoin? Yes. Yeah. So this is something that's that's working uh, that, that people are working on in terms of uh, of um, uh, of Bitcoin is how to scale it. And there has been a couple of denial of service attacks. But the thing is that every the only way you can denial of service Bitcoin is by sending a transaction, sending millions of transactions. The thing is that Bitcoin, every transaction, this is why Satoshi Nakamoto made it, that you send a little tiny fee for every transaction that you make. So every transaction that you make, you need to send a little fee. Now, a denial of service attack can get very, very expensive very fast. Why denial of service attacks work with email uh, or with the internet is because it's free. You can send as many packets of information at a certain website uh, from hundreds of thousands of computers, and it'll cost you nothing. With Bitcoin, if you send 100,000 millions of transactions, every transaction costs you 10 cents, it'll add up very quickly. Oh, there's a cost behind it. That's a good point you made. I think that that would make a big difference in, you know, when hackers would try to, you know, hack into that. Now, why is there a belief that a systemic failure of cryptocurrency is impossible? It doesn't matter if it's Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. Do you think that a systemic failure is impossible for any cryptocurrency? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that, I mean, nothing's impossible, right? But it, it's it's very, very, very improbable. You're probably more likely to win the uh, win the uh, lottery eight times in a row than than something go down. And it's 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 possible to win the lottery ten times in a row, eight times in a row, but it's probably not going to happen. So. The thing is that the internet itself was designed from the core to get around nuclear holocaust. Uh, it was, the internet was designed to, when, when damage happens to it, the network routes around the damage automatically. And the Bitcoin network, because the Bitcoin protocol works on a very base level of the internet, it's a protocol, it's a mathematical protocol. It's like email, it's a protocol. It's, it's, it sits very base level. So it it structured the very similar way to the internet. If there is damage to the internet somewhere, the Bitcoin network will route around it. So the only way to really shut down Bitcoin is to shut down the entire internet at a single one time. So, and the internet, you can't shut down. You can, one country can stop access to the internet in their country, but you can't shut down the entire internet. Almost unless, unless every nation, you know, gets together and decides that let's share it off. But you are right that the probability of that is very low. Good luck with that. <laughs> Good yeah. luck with that. Now, there is a growing belief that if one has an asset that follows real-time gold price, and it can be redeemed or claimed for physical gold, and if, if we can combine the benefits of digital currencies with benefits of gold as a store of value, this is a very cheap way or very affordable way to store, trade, and use gold globally. Is that uh, what we are seeing? What do you think? Oh, yes, absolutely. We have, we have many clients uh, from India to, uh, uh, to America, to Pakistan, to, um, to Myanmar. Uh, all over the world, people are uh, using uh, the Bitcoin network to transfer value and instantly holding that value in uh, professional top tier vaulting facilities in Switzerland 
um, using Voltoro. And, uh, and it's, it's just stunning to see that people that have been traditionally unbanked have not needed to get any permission. They can basically grab their phone, download an open source application and start using, uh, start the international trade. I mean, this was impossible only five years ago, six years ago, you couldn't do this. You, I mean, Bitcoin has been around for eight years, but the technology really has gotten a lot easier. So now people can do this. So you can literally, any, if you have access to the internet, you, you even have, um, there's, there's a company uh, called BitSim uh, that's working on a SIM card to work for old dumb phones. So people that have even got old feature phones can send an SMS and it builds an in, inbuilt uh, uh, Bitcoin wallet. So the barriers of entry are slowly breaking down that we now don't need to wait for permission as human beings from banks to, to trade with each other. And this is, a, a, for a lot of people, a base human right to be able to say, look, I've got something you want, you've got something I want, let's trade. And, and, um, and now we have the ability to do that without asking permission, without saying, without going to a big banking uh, uh, structure and saying, oh, here's my ID and here's all my paperwork and, and, and please take 10% of everything that I earn and, you know, or, or whatever it is, or, you know, especially for international remittances. I mean, uh, uh, MoneyGram and, uh, and Western Union are, are renowned for absolutely rorting the, the, the monopolies they've got on, 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 uh, on money, money remittances. And, and that's, they're not, just rotting it. I mean, it's a very expensive business that they're in where they have to set up a bricks and mortar place on both sides and they have to, so it's, it's very expensive for them. And uh, whereas now that this is all broken down really quickly with this one invention. Yes. Yes. So it seems now there's a lot of people who say that gold asset management on the blockchain, it holds a great potential in reducing friction and enabling the trusted transfer of digital gold tokens, as you've been talking about, and then uh, also transactions and settlements. And they believe that blockchain as a public distributed ledger technology allows for immutability and transparent accounting of all transactions as a forgery proof record of transaction uh, is mm. stored in thousands of nodes uh, with the Bitcoin. We have been seeing that that is the greatest benefit and, and uh, that is practically impossible to manipulate or even you know have any kind of fraudulently changing ownership records do you see that potential with you know how this is going moving forward oh absolutely absolutely the the i mean this is what we use to prove uh, transparency on voltoro is we um, we're looking at inserting every single trade into the blockchain so that when someone uh, checks how much of how much i got they can straight away see in the ledger, well, this happened, this happened, this happened, you should have this much, and yes, you have this much. So where this really starts to become interesting is that there's been some studies into why developing countries or, or uh, you know, the, the old word was third world countries were still doing so badly after so many years. And, and the, the studies looked into everything from are they lazy, are they... Uh, you know, have they got access to banking or are they uh, corrupt or are they, you know, they looked into all the spectrum of issues, why they think they've still in a developing uh, role, that the middle class isn't very big. And what it came down to, the biggest factor of why countries have stayed uh, in a third world status is because of property law, is that buy a piece of property you don't know if you own it. If, if suddenly the government just comes in and says, no, this is mine, or if, um, or if someone um, uh, just, if you bought some property and then you go and try to sell it and then you, you go to the government uh, and the government says, no, you don't own that anymore. Look, my record says something else. And, and what happens is as soon as you have a stable structure to say, this is my property, what happens is that people start investing into farming equipment. They start investing in employees. They start growing and multiplying. They build businesses. Other businesses come to surround that business. And, and you start building infrastructure. You start building this organism of, 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 of the middle class growing. So what the blockchain allows us to do is enter property titles into this immutable database to say that all the only thing that can happen 
is that the database can have a new record. So you can say, Joe owned it, now Bob does. But if Joe goes back and says, look, I never sold it. Uh, obviously, there was some fraud here. Bob doesn't actually. Then you can go back and go to court with that issue. It's much different than uh, in, in developing countries right now. There's been cases where the person that's closest to the database, you know, the, the government worker that has access to the database can just go, yeah, now my, my uncle Bob now owns that piece of land. And, you know, there's nothing that, that Joe over there can do because, well, the, the, the computer says no otherwise. So Yes, yes. Yeah, so that is a cause really of great concern in so many nations. I mean, uh, to prove that that is something legally you own is a very complex challenge. And it seems right now that uh, most of the solutions that we are seeing, they're built around Bitcoin. Uh, and its principal structures, Bitcoin too, probably, right? I, I may be wrong on that. And it could be, bit, it's like Bitcoin's blockchain and Ethereum's blockchain. Are these the only two blockchains that are under development or are there any more in the world? Because you do hear some rumors that there are some other, you know, blockchains that is being developed. Uh, you know, yeah, other than because, because both of those, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're open source. So, Anybody can grab that that source code and try to launch their own blockchain. Uh, they can change a bit of the code if they want. They can experiment. Um, so there's 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 literally now thousands of different blockchains out there, and there's gonna there's gonna be millions of them um, because it's like it's like saying oh there's a database because that's all it is really is a database, but it's a distributed database that that you can only put information in and read it. You can't change information. So um, the, the, the the Bitcoin blockchain is the most secure because uh, we did the math here recently, and it was something like if if every if Google turned every bit of their computing power and pointed it toward towards the blockchain, it would only add three percent hashing power now to the Bitcoin blockchain. That means that they don't quite people don't quite understand how how much power is behind the Bitcoin blockchain right now? It, it's, it's really amazing. It's, it's phenomenal. It's far bigger than anyone would have thought back uh, in, in 2008, 2009, uh, that it happened so quickly. So there seems to but, be a lot uh, yeah, of promise in that. There's a lot of promise in it, and, and it's, it's only growing, and it's only getting bigger. And this is, this is one thing why I say that, uh, that both Bitcoin and, and gold and, and things are, important but why bitcoin is so amazing is that it takes no permission to work on this thing so if you're a coder if you're a programmer and you're sitting in some village somewhere you can and you're bored you can add you can create some amazing application that works with this protocol and instantly you've added value by making this cool app that works with it now that same programmer could not do anything with the visa network could not do anything with the mastercard network because these are permissioned you need to ring MasterCard. You need to say, I am Dr. So-and-so, and they won't let you work on it unless you have full permission. Bitcoin Network, anyone can join, anyone can work on, and that's why it's going to grow and get bigger. Yes, yes. So it seems now, it seems there are also some other innovative digital assets uh, being developed in the market. I read about smart contract system, the smart gold uh, contracts and coins that are like crypto token and uh, in addition, I think there are also some basic qualities of digital currency, anonymity, decentralization, and open source availability, and all that that you've been talking about. There are some other coins that are also being developed. I think Dinar coin that I heard about that, that they have some unique and innovative feature that its value is packed to uh, be backed by real physical gold, and it is comparable to gold spot contract. So there are so many different, uh, you know, innovative digital assets that we see in the market. What are the advantages and disadvantages that you see with uh, each of these? Well, you know, there's there's so much happening because, like I said, anybody can just start developing something, and and a lot of these ideas will pop and fizzle out. And what I find really really fascinating is that. You know, uh, 60 years ago, even just 10 years ago, to try, you know, when, when Marx came up with, with communism, it then got taken by the Russians and really, you know, they, they did really terrible things with this, this philosophy, over this economic theory 
They ended up building gulags where people were, uh, you know, in, in, in prisons and enslaved. And now what happens now is that we can have an economic theory, try it out on a blockchain without any violence. People can voluntarily try a smart contract, try a gold-backed token, try a, a, a currency that loses value over time instead of gains value. Um, uh, there's, there's all these different theories on... Um, uh, for instance, there was one concept where, you, where everybody crowdsourced this digital thing and f every time you sent money to it, it would send you back a token giving you voting power. So then when, when people could submit ideas to this thing and everyone that invested in it could vote whether to fund it or not, whether it would give returns or not. So there's all these. So that was a kind of new ism where the workers controlled the thing or the people that invested in it controlled the thing. So there's all these economic theories that can be tried out without violence. And, this, and, and not only one at a time, you can test out millions of different concepts um, and, and see if it works in a marketplace voluntarily. And that, that's stunning. Yes, yes. Now, it seems that the gold investors are a bit slow and they seem to be very cautious in adopting cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Uh, it, it seems many gold investors are outright hostile towards Bitcoin and they think that uh, this is a false competition to real money such as gold and silver. Now, while there are many that were quick to embrace Bitcoin because of its decentralized nature, limited supply and clear you know utility and validity as we have been talking about do you think that there is a room for both gold and bitcoin in any investors portfolio oh absolutely uh, I, I think there's a lot of i mean all our clients we've got uh, over 3700 clients now all, all purchasing gold and bitcoin and training back and forth whenever they need to um the thing is that Nowadays, and this is what gold bugs need to get into their head, is that I cannot send one cent worth of gold to Africa in a second from Berlin. I cannot do it. Uh, I can't. It's not a very good global. We, are, we don't live in little uh, communities now where we can have a small little uh, economy going. We have live in a global community with global trade. But the debt-based monetary system that we, that we use is, is predatory and it's, 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 uh, a lot of people would just say it's imbalanced um, by having uh, asset-based money. Um, so, so let's break this down. Where, if you have gold, you have an asset-based money. You find this gold and it's, it's found and, and then you spend it into the economy. It just keeps going, moving around. Um, it, it doesn't have to go back to the initial finder with interest. So debt-based money, or you know, what we're seeing with, with, with government-based currencies is they print it and lend it through mortgages or credit cards. or They lend it into existence and it has to come back with interest. That means there's more money owed than exists. So this is like a musical chairs. This is like a, like a, a, a game of economic musical chairs where there's not enough money. There's not enough chairs for the amount of people that need to sit. There's not enough money for the amount of people that owe money back to the bank. So the difference is gold, when you find it and spend it, it doesn't have to go back. It just keeps moving. And Bitcoin is the same. You find, miners find these, these Bitcoins and they spend it into existence. So gold is a rare metal. It's found and spent into existence. Bitcoin is a rare number that's found and spent into existence. And if you're a mathematician, you can understand rare numbers. If you're not, you have to just uh, recognize that there's something you don't understand. But there is such thing. Yes, yes, yes. So it seems that many cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, as we have been talking, they use a decentralized system. But there is one I heard that I think Coeptis, it uses a centralized one. Now, while a decentralized currency avoids the potential for a single point of failure, a centralized one makes it more efficient and cheaper to operate, according to, you know, all these reports that I've been reading. So do you think the cost of running the blockchain is based on how much money is invested? And do you think that the centralized uh, uh, cryptocurrency, the coeptis, that concept will pick up? Or do you think that uh, the trend is now more towards the decentralized system? I mean, I, I think what the important thing here is competition. Uh, if you have competition, 
then it doesn't matter if it's centralized or decentralized because competition, um, as they say in Australia, keeps the bastards honest. Because if, if someone starts corrupting your centralized exchange, if you start seeing that this centralized entity is printing way more is, or is opaque and not showing what's really happening, then there's an exit door really easily. And especially with, with digital currencies, it's so fluid, you can just take all of that and, go and put it somewhere else. Now, with a centralized solution, you have to trust them. You have to trust them technologically. You have to trust them that they're not printing enough or that they're printing too much, that they're not giving the newly minted coins to their mates. And uh, because newly minted money always has the full purchasing power. As soon as it goes out into the economy, it takes a little while, but then you get inflation. As more and more money enters the economy, it, it starts losing value. Yes. And, and, and so the people that first have access to the newly minted money has the full purchasing power. So you have to trust that they don't, um, they don't exploit that um, and, and we've seen centralized economies over and over and over and over again collapse because there is this concept of greed. And there's no point saying, oh, we've got to stop greed because that's like blaming airplane crashes on gravity. No, you can't blame it on gravity. Gravity's always there. You blame a, that we have to make a better plane. And, the, and so uh, we can't blame greed. We have to know it's there. And so decentralized solutions really help um, you know, yeah, we are a centralized exchange, but what we do is we ha use the blockchain to have true transparency. So if you are going to use a centralized uh, exchange, make sure that they have a, f have a really good transparency protocol in place. Um, right. Check out ours. You can go to voltoro.com slash transparent uh, audit.voltoro.com. Sorry. And you can see how it works. And just if you're, because we don't do fiat, so you're going to have to go to another exchange for that. But yeah. make sure when you do join an exchange to have a look what sort of transparency protocols do they use? Are they transparent? Do they show how much they've got on the books? Do they show how much you owe? And try not to keep your Bitcoins on the exchange. Hold it on your own devices or on these paper wallets. That's a good, that's a good advice. Now, uh, in favor of these centralized system, there are people who say that the centralized system allows for greater protection against money laundering because it's very easy to monitor unlike a cryptocurrency decentralized where you know there is nobody watching so i mean is that a valid argument by these people for the decentralized the thing is that money laundering is a very new concept really uh the, the whole concept is, is is kind of strange and and it does happen the thing is that we have to stop blaming money for crimes and start blaming criminals for crimes we're doing good old-fashioned police work to find criminals and bring them to justice. By relying purely on the monetary following money, it breaks money. It breaks money for the vast majority that are using it for the good. And so, um, yes, you can, uh, you can use centralized uh, systems to, uh, that, that issue their money for uh, anti-money loan. But, you know, the... the the dollar is fully centralized or the euro or every other government currency fully centralized fully monopolized and it's the biggest source of money laundering and uh problems and uh, I mean, uh, they did a uh, there was a scientific survey on how many uh british pound notes had traces of cocaine and it was 99.5% of british notes or something had cocaine within the first year of being in circulation so uh, it, these these uh, paper currencies are vastly more used for criminal behavior than digital currencies. And, and of course, that will change because digital currencies will grow and become more and more useful. But we can't say that crime happens because of digital currencies. Crime happens because crime happens yes. and criminals want to be paid. And so if criminals are being paid, it means that actually, well, this digital money, it proves that that is actually money now. <laughs> Yes, kind yes, of yes. There, there are also some concerns by uh, uh, many institutions and people that the gold supply is finite and then you know that uh, you won't uh, how do you intend to have these gold backed uh, bitcoin moving forward if there is a limited supply of gold and uh, how do you how would you make it function effectively 
Well, we have, uh, we're opening multiple vaulting contracts around the world. So yeah, there's, there's a limited supply, but just like Bitcoin, there's a limited supply. So what would happen was that because we're a marketplace that trades 24 hours, seven days a week, um, it, uh, it's constantly finding a price. So if there's a supply squeeze, the only thing that's going to happen is that the gold price will go up. Um, it's, a, it's a very basic supply demand uh, algorithm. So it, I, I don't think that it's a, it's a big issue. Okay. I, I also hear that uh, just like, you know, Bitcoin is being backed by gold, there are also many other uh, ventures or projects in uh, play where Bitcoin is uh, backed by some commodities. How can you tell more about that? Because how are how widely used they are? I mean, marijuana backed or you know some other commodity backed uh, Bitcoin. Uh, how 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 widely used are these? Well, I don't think they're widely used at all. Again, I think they're experiments. They're, they're economic experiments that are popping and fizzling and maybe it takes off and then we see, oh, wow, that's interesting. It's taking off. Why? Because it must be useful. Um, you know, we, we, uh, th there's another great um, idea of using um, these, these, these uh, backing these tokens. They're, they're a great idea, but in actual fact, they're very hard to, to to make happen because for instance, I can make a gold backed currency. I can say one gram of gold is now one Voltoro token. Um, the problem is I need to now go around to every single merchant and try to get them to accept these Voltoro coins. And why, why bother when, when the whole Bitcoin community has already taken eight years to try and get as many people as possible to accept Bitcoin. Why would I want them to now accept my token when people can just buy gold and then sell that for Bitcoin instantly or convert that, instantly convert it and send it. Uh, so they don't need to back a token anymore. They don't need to because, because digital currencies are so fluid, so liquid, so fast, they, don't, they can just convert to anything and convert back. So there are these interesting experiments and I, and I love that they're happening. I love that people are building these baskets. I saw someone building a basket of um, a whole heap of metals and tr creating a token uh, because that's even more stable because it doesn't track just one metal. Yes, yes. So, that is true. That is true. How many different kinds of Bitcoins are out there that is backed by gold? Um, there's, there's, not, uh, there's, there's only one or two two that I know of that are actually they're, they're not bitcoins backed by gold they're, they're actually their own token um, but we're, we're the only true order book exchange between physical allocated gold and bitcoin that's currently. true, that is good to know now you have been actively working in this field, your company Voltora is also very active in this what are some of the big concerns you have looking at the overall uh, cryptocurrency market um, I, I think really the, the biggest concern that I have is that um, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding uh, around cryptocurrencies and it's going to take a very long time for, for them to get ironed out because there is an inherent distrust when it comes to money and there, there should be as well. It's not that uh, I, I don't think there shouldn't be um, because there's a lot of people scamming out there and so when they hear oh, there's this new internet money that's you know, it's very like, oh, but when, when every news article comes out saying it's being used for drugs, it's being used for this and that. And, and the truth is actually that it's the, the, the most purchased thing with Bitcoin uh, uh, in 2015 was bed sheets and bed bedding on overstock.com. It was, I think Coindesk came out with that. And the second biggest thing was charity that people would be sending around to all these different charities. So um, I think that the biggest thing is FUD, fear and, uh, and, and uh, un, un, being unsure and spreading these, uh, this sort of uh, uh, nonsense around. And, yeah. So you, you, it seems that it is still not widely used for the commercial purposes and there is a lot of fear as you are you know, uh, saying. That. So what is the industry planning to do about that? Do they have an approach uh, or how are they going to go forward to uh, making sure that, you know, that fear, uh, you know, they can manage it effectively and that they can establish the trust 
uh, that is so very much needed. And that, uh, we also know that Bitcoin has been very volatile. So that is also, you know, another factor that the industry need to evaluate and the industry need to manage yeah. effectively. Mm -hmm. How to manage the so much volatility in the Bitcoin market and how to convince the users, consumers and citizens all across nations that this is something you can trust with, that uh, there is no fear that you will not lose your money and that you can use it effectively to do the uh, commercial uh, process for anything that you want to purchase. So how does the industry plan to go forward with that? Yes. Yeah, so, I, you know, if we look back at the early internet age, the when you first jumped on the internet, um, people would say, what, you're on the internet? Uh, that's only for pornographers and for sketchy people. Like it was really, uh, you know, you, you, before Google, you typed in um, lamp and you would get porn because the, 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 the technology wasn't there. So everyone was distrustful of the internet because it was just this, you would just get these gross pictures coming out, thrown at you. You, you. you know, it was really hard to find what you were actually looking for. But as technology grew, it became more and more useful. Suddenly, companies started adopting it because that's easier uh, than than um, other. You know, it, it just grew organically, and I think that's the same thing. We just need to be patient uh, because it's a distributed network. It's not a centralized system, so no one has the authority to say, "Right, we're now going to do X, and we're all going to do it." It's that the companies in this space need to do something. So, for instance, email is a protocol. It's got Gmail and Hotmail and all these things that sit on top of the email protocol. Bitcoin is a money protocol and companies like Voltoro or Coinbase are sitting on top of, or Unocoin are sitting on, on top of the Bitcoin protocol. And we're all going to have to just work at, at making it better and more useful. And there's nothing really we can do about the fear and, and, um, and nonsense that that is spread around it's just it's a useful currency it's um it's cheaper it's faster and and eventually people will click and go oh yeah and and we're seeing that already in in the early adopters and early adopters being coders programmers um uh, people that are traveling a lot and and perpetual travelers especially coders because coders don't need to be in a central spot they can have their laptop and they can travel around and, and keep working and they like to get paid in bitcoin because it's fast and once they've got it it can't be pulled back that's really important too like paypal um i can pay someone paypal and then i can refuse and, and pull that money back when i've got the product with bitcoin i can't pull that money back so for for coders it's really good because they get paid if they get paid they can't that money can't get taken from them again Yes, that is an important distinction. So thank you, Joshua, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on Bitcoin and more oh, importantly, on backing Bitcoin with physical gold. Our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the understanding you provided on the current state of Bitcoin and gold industry today and what will what you are anticipating that it would be in the coming tomorrow. So even if a single individual or entity can understand the complex challenges facing the digital currencies and they can come up with the ideas to prepare themselves based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today. The Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Oh, thank you very much. It's lovely to be on the show and it's uh, and keep up the great work. I love the idea of a show based on, on analyzing risk and, uh, and uh, getting around it. Thank you very much. Great, thank you so much. We appreciate that. So Bitcoin and blockchain technology marks the beginning of a new era. There is a hope that it is perhaps a step towards achieving a unified digital global currency system. And although uh, we don't know whether it will be successful to do so remains unclear for the time being, as we, there are still many more risks that needs to be identified, evaluated and managed. Uh, Security seems to be a paramount when dealing with digital currencies and risk groups, Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason so we can identify, evaluate and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia in cyberspace, geospace and space. And we can discuss, debate and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also the coming technological super conversions. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, 
risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict and it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two all three concepts feed into each other we believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations tradition becomes our security so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace let's manage the existing and emerging risks together for more information on the risk roundups to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share until next time i'm jayshree pandya host of risk roundups signing off see you next time thank you